Father God, we thank you, Lord, for bringing us safely to this place. We thank you for lunch, and we thank you, Lord, for all that you are doing in our lives. We just ask now, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would lead as we have this session, and that, Lord, we would leave here more, Lord, energized um, to see your, seek your truth and to speak your truth, and that, Lord, we would live your truth as well. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so this session, um, the third session on the Dragon's War on the Remnant is Secret Agents and Double Agents. It is, so the first one we did this morning was In Search of the Remnant, and we really kind of tried to establish the Remnant Church and look at prophecy from a different angle. So we used uh, the Book of Corinthians, actually. When we, normally in Adventism, we go um, Revelation 12, 17, and then we go to where it says in the, uh, the testament of Jesus Christ, the spirit of prophecy, and we stop. But in Corinthians, it does a lot of work on showing you the purpose of prophecy. And then all of us have a part to play. If we are the remnant, we all have a part to play in, in the spirit of prophecy, meaning that when we are come across people who are unlearned and don't know truth, we all have a part to play in sharing truth with them. And that is also the spirit of prophecy. That's partly why you are part of the remnant church. Um, and then we talked about the dragon in the digital age, and there's a lot, lot more I could have done on that, just the, on the power of technology. We were just talking about the Internet, and, you know, I didn't even really get into the, the, the ability of the Internet to do everything from create, um, you know, these digital <laughs> pornography addictions that we see so common in America now and around the world, um, secret affairs that people are able to have because now they've got a whole new way to communicate, um, and then I'll never mind all of the false doctrine and false information that you're, that's available. And of course, you know, the good thing about the Internet is, I mean, we, there's also a presence in truth. So you can go on there and find a lot of good information as well. But it, obviously there's a, there's a lot of battle going on just through the Internet that never existed, you know, just 20 years ago. None of that even really existed. So we're looking at real heavy digital time in terms of the ability to just take information, download it on a mobile device like an iPod, and walk around with it. That is something that, you know, the devil is trying to use to his advantage. And praise God we have stuff like Audioverse and 3ABN so that we have something really to counteract that. And you can send people to those sites um, and those, you know, those outlets as a way for them to get truth. This one is secret agents, double agents, and this is talking more about how the devil is trying to get into the church. Um, and so we're going to move from, we were talking about secular music and Hollywood and that kind of stuff, but now we're going to move into, you know, how is the, the, the devil really trying to get the church itself? Um, and the text, first text here is Matthew chapter 10, verse 35. It says, for I, came, I, I am come not, I, I am come to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. Very strong text. And what the text is really saying is that when you become a Christian, there has, you can have no allegiance to anyone that trumps your allegiance to Christ. Your first and foremost, most important relationship is your relationship with Christ, your, your allegiance to God. And anybody that comes in between that, you have to cut that relationship off. And not meaning that you don't love the person or deal with the person, but that person cannot take control of your life like that. Um, and I heard a testimony somewhere where a young lady was saying she was trying to make it work in this relationship with a young man, and eight months or nine months they were together, and she was hoping they would get married. And finally, God had showed up, you know, she was praying about it, and God said, I'm not willing to share you. 
this man has too much of a place in your life, and I'm not willing to share you. And she broke off the relationship because it was an unhealthy relationship for other reasons, and she was compromising her relationship with God over the relationship. And the Bible clearly says that's not something that we should do. Um, but the other point of this verse is that a man's foe shall be there of his own household, meaning that when you are part of the remnant, some of what's going to come at us is not going to come from outside the church. In fact, we talked this morning about the fact that the devil realized early on when he was persecuting Christians that the more he persecuted them, the faster and more powerfully the church grew. So the devil has un understands that if he's going to get the church, the best way for him to attack the church is actually to attack the church from within. He has to come from within because then he can legitimize sin, he can legitimize false doctrine, he can legitimize heresy, and people will accept it. And that's exactly what the devil is working on to try and destroy Protestantism in general and Adventism in, in particular. He's working through this kind of uh, covert means to try and do that. Timothy says, this know also that in the last days perilous times will come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. He then says, lovers, they will be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. So we know that from inside the church, you're going to have enemies and foes rise up. But also, you're going to have the problem that people are going to love pleasure so much um, that the people have a form of godliness, but deny the power of God, uh, of thereof. What is the real power of God? Say that again? The power, well, no, I heard somebody say it. It's the power to change us. It's the power to actually come in and make us over. And it's the creative power of God and the recreative power of God. What will happen is that people will want the form of Christianity, the form of conversion, the form of it, but don't really want the power that's supposed to come along with it to change them. Why? Because like we said this morning, what the devil really wants, and the devil is looking for an opportunity and a, and a way to get people to worship him. And the devil likes to stand in the temple of God. So he doesn't really, ironically, even when you, Roger Renault, we talked about Roger Renault this morning, even when Roger Renault talks about these demon worship experiences that he had when he still worshiped, when he was in these demon uh, worshiping spirit worshiping uh, world, he says that they actually used hymnals and they set up like church and they sang hymns, but instead of praising God in the hymns, they would curse God in the hymns. Because the devil likes the formality of it. He, he wants to stand before the congregation of God. He wants to stand in that place because that's the place he used to have. He used to be the one standing there directing the praise and the worship in heaven. He wants that back. And so one of the reasons he loves, you know, many of the denominations of the world, but especially like the Catholic churches, it has that form without the substance. It's a way for him to stand up there and be like the Pope where people bow and kiss their ring and, and offer prayer to them and really ultimately worship them. And the devil loves that because he gets it in a context that appears to be godly. And ironically, that's what he wants. He doesn't really, I don't think he enjoys the worship of these blatant Satanists as much as he does by deceiving people who think they're worshiping the true God. Because then he already has the people that are Satanists. He really wants to get the people who are supposed to be Christians. He's really, that's who he really wants to wipe out. That's, that's his first and foremost enemy says, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things that thou hast learned and been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, 
And it goes on, I skipped the last verse on that one, but it goes on to say that from a child you have known this from the scriptures. He says, Paul says to Timothy, you've known this as from you were a child. Inherent to battling the, the false teachings and false prophets and all the false things that are going to come upon the remnant churches, understanding scripture and starting children as early as possible in understanding scripture. That is critical. Secondly, as soon as people come into church and they're babes because they've been baptized in the church, they also need to understand scripture. It is your only real defense when you start dealing with false doctrine. Ellen White says, of your own self shall men arise speaking perverse things <coughs> to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, watch and remember. Bear in mind that trials of this character are to come upon us, not only from without, but also from within our own ranks. Our individual safety is in entire consecration to God. It is very clear that these attacks will not only come from outside the church. And a lot of times that's what we're worried about. We're worried about the world. But you can't let down your guard inside of the church either, as you're going to see. So the first one, and I've done this on other time, but I like this slide, really talks about Constantine who was um, in a battle. Um, I forget the name of the bridge but he was at, but he was in a battle at a bridge. It says when he looked up, he saw the cross above the sun. And when he saw this, he heard a voice say to him, go and conquer by this. Um, and there's a whole Latin phrase for it that they still use. And he was converted to Christianity. Now, he wasn't baptized until he almost died. So it's kind of weird. He got converted and waited a long time to get baptized. But he came in and he, made, he started buying, building churches and, and, and monasteries. He came in and just started doing all these favors for the Christians, stopped taxing the priests and, and the bishops. And it seemed as if he was this good Christian leader. But in fact, he was the, the quintessential example of the devil rising, raising somebody up from inside the church to destroy it. Because what does he immediately begin to do? He begins to take bits and pieces of paganism. Now, they were killing the Christians when it was a pagan nation. We we're talking about they were burning them at the stake and feeding them to lions. But when it becomes a Christian nation, do you think they persecuted the pagans? Not at all. There's no record of any pagans ever being persecuted, which obviously you don't want anybody getting persecuted. But it wasn't like the thinking was the same. Instead, they were trying to just appease or win over the pagans. And what they did is they, they bankrupted a lot of the temples by taxing the pagans. They did little things like that. But what he did also do was he was wise enough to say, let me take the days that are important to the pagans and turn them into Christian days. And it wasn't Constantine alone. This was a process that happened. You know, you read where they, 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 they made people begin to keep Sunday by making the Sabbath a fast day and a solemn day. And you couldn't do anything on the Sabbath. But Sunday was a feast day. So you can have, you know, you can have muffins and ice cream on Sunday, but on Saturday you couldn't eat anything. What day do you think everybody's looking forward to, right? So they began to do this little switch to make people celebrate Sunday and kind of not like Sabbath because many of these people weren't raised Jews. They were baptized into Christianity, and it was originally a, 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 a Sabbath-keeping church. People forget that, of course. They, uh, the first church was a Sabbath-keeping church. So in 8321, they passed the first Sunday laws. By 8325, they had the Council of Nicaea, and this is where they began to codify these things and pass the laws, and under pagan influence, the church was permanently changed. So what happened is his father remained a, a, a sun-worshipping pagan, the way it said, and his mother was a Christian. He tried to meld it all together, and what Constantine ultimately does is he really destroys the very foundation of Christianity. And there's a lot I could say about this. I mean, we could get into, um, 
You know, even all the way out to today in the, in, the, in the Second Vatican Council, there's a lot that the church, this church does to try and convince and win people to them without really changing paganism. It's a powerful weapon, and the devil realized this worked better than killing Christians. And that's why we're, I think we're in a phase right now where they're trying to just see who they can get before persecution comes. Because ultimately, when there's some people who just won't convert, persecution will come back. So you have huge Constantine-like figures today. Now, and what I mean by that is, again, if you look at the trappings of it, they build giant temples, uh, churches. They have huge praise and worship. They seem to elevate Christ. And you would look at it and you, you think everything is fine. But this is why there's secret agents and double agents. Because, in fact, these people may not at all be working for God. Um, or if they are, they're doing it under a grand delusion. So I'm going I'm to put up a quote of Joel Osteen that I use sometimes from Larry King Live in a minute. But here's a church where basically, if you, if you look at the books that he publishes and stuff, it's like pop psychology. You know what I mean? There's no real substance to it. I mean, I, I mean, I hate to say it, but it's true. There's not much to what he's really saying. There's no hard substance, no hard wrong and right, nothing like that. It waters down the Christian message. And that really is the point. How do you get Christians to not worry about doctrine and, 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 and studying the word really hard and, and learning what God really wants in their lives? Well, you do it by making it all like a self-help motivational speaking seminar. You do it so it's more about you advancing and progressing than it is about you serving God. Prosperity messages are coming to that. And, I mean, all of that kind of stuff. And then Rick Warren is the other one. You see, he's the, one of the top 25 most influential evangelicals in America. And the evangelical wing of, of America is a powerful wing. Um, matter of fact, many Adventists would say that they're more a part of evangelical politics uh, or thinking than they are of anything else. Many, America, many Adventists would say that in America. Uh, but Rick Warren, another good example. He had a huge scandal this year. I don't know if you guys remember this. But he, had, you know, he all along with pop, prop... Um, the Prop 8 in California? Prop 8, I know that. Um, and, you know, they were looking, the homosexual community thought that California was a gimme state. They honestly thought that they would just walk in, get gay marriage approved in California. It's a liberal, very liberal state. They couldn't believe that they wouldn't win California. Rick Warren was on the side of we don't want gay marriage. He was very vocal about it, actually. And you can go to YouTube and see all the times he was adamantly against it and spoke against it and so on and so forth. And then they lost. The gay, I don't think the gay community ever thought they would lose. In fact, when you listen to certain radio stations, I listen to some of the news stations in California, and there were people on there angry at blacks and Hispanics. I heard gay leaders of the gay community mad and saying, if it wasn't for Barack Obama running for president, all these blacks and Hispanics wouldn't have voted. And if they didn't vote, they would, we, would, we would have won. Because the white vote in California did, by 60%, did vote for Prop 8, for, for gay marriage. And that, I mean, it was amazing because these liberal, you know, ultra-liberal, all-inclusive, diversified people, all of a sudden they were mad at black people and Spanish people. But they don't understand the thinking of, obviously, they don't understand getting politics. Blacks and Hispanics go to church a lot more by percentage and still believe in older, traditional ways and families. And so when they went to vote, they're like, well, I can vote for this Obama dude, but I don't want this one. 
And they were mad. You know, outcry, outpour. It was furor. And it still is. I don't think that battle's even over in California. I think it'll come back around. Um, but this guy now begins to be attacked. And what the gay community did in California, I'm getting off my nose, but it's interesting. What they did is they went through and looked online to see who donated more than $100 to the cause against gay marriage. And I can't remember, probably those propositions are worded so funny. I never remember which one is it yes or no that I'm supposed to. But you have to actually read it in the voters booth the box to, to understand it. Um, and so they went and looked to see who paid money and donated money against the proposition, against gay marriage. And what they did is they found that there were people who worked at gay, at predominantly gay uh, catering restaurants and places like that. <coughs> and they went and boycotted and picketed the restaurants because a manager worked there that donated to this cause. And they even went to people's houses and picketed and boycotted. They went and surrounded the Mormon temple downtown because the Mormon church had donated money against it. So, I mean, it was huge political warfare. He gets caught in the wind. What is amazing is he backpedals. All of the documented video of him being against gay marriage and marriage between a man and a woman, when the gay community begins to threaten him, and come against him, he backpedals, and, ah, you know, I really was never against it. Um, you know, I had no problem. Unbelievable. And you can go online and YouTube it and see the actual video of them showing you what he said before and what he said after. I say that because one of the problems, we were talking about celebrity in the last session, one of the problems of turning Christian preachers into celebrity like this and elevating them like this is when they do a flip-flop like that, what does that do to the believers? It, the, the believers themselves now are confused. He totally flip-flopped. And you, you don't have to almost, I, I wish I could figure out how to embed the videos into my thing. I'm learning how to do that. Then I'll show it. But he, he totally flip-flopped because at the end of the day, when you make the kind of money that these guys make, you don't want to say anything that's going to stop you from driving around in Rolls Royces and Jaguars. and Be These guys don't drive Mercedes and BMWs. I mean, I don't know if they do, but these mega pastors, they, I mean, Creflo Dollar's church leases him a Rolls Royce because he deserves it, the church says. And then he has a private, he has a helicopter pad. I went to his house. I, I wasn't invited. I just went anyway um, just to see what it looked like because he talks about money so much. I was in Atlanta, so they knew, it was right across from Evander Holyfield. He actually bought a bigger, nicer house now, they say. He was right across from Evander Holyfield's house. So Vander Holyfield, of course, he's been beat up a million times. He deserves a big house. Um, but Creflo Dollar's house, a huge house with a helicopter pad, golden gates. Look like you reached the New Jerusalem, right? And beautiful, I mean, just a nice house in Atlanta, you know, with the kind of money spend, you get a big house. And, um, but these guys, when you make that kind of money, you drive in those cars, are you going to say anything that might jeopardize the, the cash flow? It becomes very difficult to stand for right when you're paid this kind of money. This is why I believe these people are allowed to make that kind of money. The enemy almost wants them making that kind of money because money will silence you. Money will make you not say stuff. You, a lot of us on our jobs are quiet about stuff we know is wrong. You don't know if that stuff should be done, but different reasons. Well, I'm not going to say anything. I'll jeopardize my job. <laughs> Let the company lose all that money. I'm not getting in trouble. So you see, that's part of the problem. But it even goes deeper than that. And I'm just, I was going to build this in, but I'm, I'm going to, um, I'll talk it out instead. It goes even deeper because I believe that the devil has actually sent people to infiltrate the church. And I believe when I went to, I went to Spain to speak, um, and the pastor there was a Romanian group 
took me around and we were, he, he was a real nice guy. I got off the plane, I'm like barely able to think. And he's taking me to like these fancy museums. I'm like walking around like a zombie trying to <laughs> appreciate art. But, um, but it, were, it was good. I saw a lot in a very short period of time. And he took me to Toledo where the Jesuit order was originated and where um, Ignatius received his vision. And there's still a military school there right across from the cathedral. And, and you go into the cathedral. And what's interesting is that when you go into the choir loft of the cathedral, there are these really demonic looking figures carved into the wood. And then we got locked in. I turned to God, I was like, they figured out we're Adventists. <laughs> He's like, we'll get out. Um, but I learned a whole lot in there. And one of the things is, this order, and, you, and you know, in reading over the years of books about it, there's a whole order created after the Protestant Reformation that was designed to infiltrate and destroy Protestant movements of all kinds. And you can read... Um, Chick Publications has the little comic books where they talk about um, these former Jesuits and former priests that come out and tell you what they were uh, um, licensed to do. And I believe, honestly, many of these mega church pastors, that's what they are. I believe literally they are ways to draw people back to Rome subtly. And I believe that they have been incredibly effective. I remember being in China when John Paul II died. And the Chinese government would not show the Pope's funeral because the Chinese government said that this man is a, was an evil man. He killed, because of the Church of Rome, many Chinese were killed in history, and they would not show it. They did not want to give any honor to the, to, to, to the Pope. Of course, in the hotel, I got CNN, so I could watch the funeral. So I'm watching it, and I turn to, to um, TBN, and we're going to talk more about him in a minute, but Benny Hinn is on. And Benny Hinn... Um, is on, and he is totally saying that the, the bishops love Jesus and just adoring the Catholic Church and the Pope. And I'm like, whoa. So I went and did the research on Benny Hinn and found out he was raised in a Catholic school in Palestine. He probably was raised by Jesuit, by the Jesuit order himself, and his work is one to do what the Vatican II Council says should be done, which is lure people back towards Rome by destroying the doctrine of the fundamental doctrines of Protestantism. How do they do that? Emo em orchestrated emotionalism. Turn, change the worship services. Have them stop singing hymns that have doctrine in the hymns. I mean, there's a whole plethora of things that they decided to do. And all of that is being done with these people. At his church, I always joke about this. One of my friends, Mark Sutton, who's one of the doctors with me, Loma Melinda, he's Adventist again now, and um, he was telling us about one service he went to at um, Saddleback Church, Rick Warren's church in Orange County. And um, he said for the closing hymn, they played the song Car Wash. You remember the song? Working at the car wash, yeah. The funk song, old, old 70s song. And that was the closing hymn. Because they pull the people in the neighborhood and find out what is your favorite type of music so that they can play that music as part of their church service. That is, I mean, powerful deception because... The Bible says you should not mix the holy with the profane. Ezekiel is the one who writes about that. So there's powerful stuff that goes on. And when you elevate these people up to that level like that, their influence is even greater. And so when they speak and say the seventh day is not the Sabbath, when they speak and say dead people actually are alive in heaven, people won't search the scriptures because they've read all of these guys' books already. They're already disciples of these guys. Not, 
necessarily disciples of Jesus Christ. So the celebrity factor is going to be a big problem. Even in Adventism, I don't have any slides about We have to be careful. We don't over-celebrate, make, well, I don't know if that's a word, make people into celebrities unnecessarily. We have to be real careful that people adore our, we, you know, we get, we get to a point where we, we, we elevate people too high that preach or, or that teach in our denomination. That can be very dangerous, and it's and it's 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 human nature to to to, to you know to, to really admire another human who's doing great work or whatever. But one, it's a great temptation to the person that's being admired if it gets carried away, and then of course it's a problem if that person falls or changes their mind with all the people that will leave with them. And the Adventist Church has suffered blows with people like Ford, um, Dale Ratzlaff, others who are leaders in the church, and turn and leave. And this whole group of people just leaves with them because their allegiance is more with the individual than it is with God. And they have more sympathy for the individual than they do for the cause of Christ. So we have to be careful. We don't create a celebrity culture inside our own denomination. Ellen White says they are controlled by impulse and impressions, which they believe to be from the Holy Spirit and consider to be more reliable than the inspired word. They claim that every thought and feeling is an impression of the Spirit. But while they think that they are led by the Spirit of God, they are in reality following an imagination wrought upon by Satan. And that is the truth. Because some of these guys, some of them are probably sincerely trying to do what they do. I think others of them aren't. But <clears throat> here's an interesting quote. This is Benny Hinn, as you know. Um, HBO did a documentary on Benny Hinn, and they uncovered how um, diabolical and deceptive what he does really is. The real sick people are never brought to the stage. People with end-stage cancer or severe lupus or, you know, real medical problems. The people that get on stage are people like to say, you know, I have one leg longer than the other. Um, you know, or my back, is, you know, I've had back problems for 20 years and I can't straighten out my back and I can't do this and I can't do that. So those people get on stage and what does he do? He touches them and they what? They get fall out slain in the spirit. They fall out first, which is a problem because there's nowhere in the Bible where people fall out. Nowhere in the Bible. In fact, when Jesus would heal people, many times Jesus would say to them what? Don't tell anybody. He'd tell them and then he'd make sure they stayed up. But he would never, he never was like, okay, hey, Let's rent a let's rent a let's rent a, a, a you know a big um, you know a, arena a stadium and let's heal people. Jesus was far more low key than that. But these guys and you can see here when you want to test prophets. One of the things is their prophecies have to come true. Well, he said in he said exactly twenty years ago. That's interesting. Today is the thirty first. In nineteen eighty nine. He said, the spirit tells me Fidel Castro will die in the 90s. Hmm. Fidel Castro may not be very much alive, but he's still kicking down there in Cuba. <laughs> oh, my. Some will try to kill him, and they will not succeed. Well, that was pretty easy. But there will come a change in his physical health, and he will not stay in power, and Cuba will be visited by God. Now, that was 20 years ago. Fidel Castro is still alive, as far as I know. I mean... And his brother's taking over. He's sick, but he did take power in Cuba in 1961 or 1962. So by the time he retired, actually. Um, but this prophecy was wrong. Totally wrong. 
And people say that this guy has the Holy Spirit and he's a prophet and all of this. I don't see it. Look at the next quote. And here are the people all laid out. Now see, I, I would mess him up because I wouldn't fall. So he doesn't want me on the stage. I'd be, he'd be like, <laughs> you know, I, I wouldn't go down. But you see that. I mean, people just lay out and they, they convulse. I, I remember meeting a girl once who said that she was, she was coming to the Adventist church by then. It was said that she, her and her mother went and when he did like this, and like the whole first 10 rows went flying. Now that right there, that's demonic. I mean, when did Jesus like throw people around, you know, with an imaginary arm? Um, but she said that she rolled over, her mother landed on her, and the chair landed on her, and she turned to her mother, and she said, Mom, this can't be from God. And her mother said, why not, as they're laying on the ground, covered in chairs. <laughs> and she says to her mother, because this hurts too much to be from God. God don't beat you up. I mean, you might go through some trials and tribulations, but he don't physically manhandle you. I mean, <laughs> this is ridiculous. I mean, this look like, look like somebody's robbing a bank and they tried to stop him. Um, so look what he said. Look at another quote here from him, what he prophesied. Remember what I'm saying? The double agents. There are a lot of very sincere Christians that believe this man is a, is a, is a preacher, that really believe that this is a legitimate mouthpiece of God. And when we go out as Adventists to share truth, we're battling these people. These are the people that have a lot of the people's hearts. When you go into their homes, they just watch this from home and they think that's truth. If you don't understand how diabolical this stuff is, you really don't know what you're up against. Look at what he says here. The Lord also tells me, this is after the Fidel Castro quote, the Lord also tells me to tell you in the mid-90s, about 94, 95, no later than that, God will destroy the homosexual community in America. <laughs> the audience applauds. But he will not destroy it with what many minds have thought him to be, which would have been HIV, I'm assuming. He will destroy it with fire. And many will turn and be saved, and many will rebel and be destroyed. At this point, you're thinking maybe he needs some Prozac or <laughs> Haldol. But this is interesting prophecy that obviously never came true. And you have to wonder what spirit is speaking to him. It isn't the spirit of God. And if the spirit of God, if this other spirit is speaking to him, deluding him to predict the burning of all homosexuals in America all at once in the mid-90s, what else is that spirit leading him to do? What else is that spirit leading him to do? And you can put, all this you can pull up just by Googling him as a false prophet. All, there are pages of stuff that come up. But these are some of the interesting quotes I thought really quantifiable that he does not have the spirit of the living God. And that is worrisome because how many people are swept into the ranks of delusion following him? And then when he turned and started to support after the Pope John Paul II died, when he began to really try and, and, and promote the bishops and the Pope and, and Catholicism, it was as if he had turned code on Protestantism. But it makes you realize maybe he never was on the side of Protestantism. And when I say secret agents and double agents, this is what I mean. There are people out there who are literally, and of course, he will blast the Adventist church, as you're going to see some of these guys do that as well. Ellen White says, there will be false dreams and false visions, which have some truth, but lead away from the original faith. The Lord has given a rule to which to, by which to detect them, to the law and to the testimony. If they speak not according to this word, it is because there is not light in them. 
If they belittle the law of God, if they pay no heed to his will as revealed in the testimonies of his spirit, they are what? Deceivers. deceivers. That means that the television waves are flooded with deceivers. Flooded with them. And the world is being deceived, swept into the rank of delusion because they're following these deceivers. And that's why when we go out as the remnant with the prophecy, speaking truth, we really have to go prayerfully because we're not dealing with people who are in a normal spiritual place. They are already under the influence of the enemy. But they don't know it because they think that they're getting word from proper people. This is why these guys connect money to this stuff so much. And I live not far in Orange County from the headquarters of TBN. It is an immaculate place. I mean, ridiculously. I have to go over there and do the tour and take pictures for my PowerPoints. I just can't tell them why I'm going to use my pictures for us. They probably won't let me. But it's amazing. These guys deal with billions, and well, by now, billions of dollars have probably come through their coffers. If they don't speak, and they're not going to speak to the law and to the testimony, because as we said this morning, as Roger Monroe pointed out, you can't get but so big without Satan's permission. You, in this world, you will not even, so even, and I, I was speaking to G. Craig Lewis, the guy who does the Truth Behind Hip Hop videos, and he was saying the same thing. He said, you would be surprised how many of the big preachers are secretly doing black magic to keep these large congregations. Secretly doing witchcraft, obia, as they say in Jamaica, voodoo. They're doing this stuff in order to keep the large congregations. It is the greatest racket if you really think about it. It's a tax-free racket. I mean, you go into churches and have ATMs in the lobby. That's an interesting thing. Well, you see... And the, the test is the law. The test is the commandments of God. It's one of the reasons why we have to continually preach the truth in all of its fullness. Now, I even wanted to talk about someone I normally don't talk about, and that's Billy Graham. Billy Graham, that, he's a Mason, but yes, yes but that, that's not, I think what he says is even more important. He says, um, speaking of Willis Haymaker, one of his assistants says he would, uh, whenever he would go out, well, let me give you background. Billy, Billy Graham is America's evangelist. People are looking for the next Billy Graham. That's what Rick Warren was supposed to be. Um, but he has strong allegiance to the Catholic Church. Again, almost as if he was a Jesuit, a secret agent for Rome. And before you do these, ma you've seen Billy Graham's crusades. I mean, he gets like giant stadium, the Rose Bowl, and packs it out. Every single time. Um, without any real hard message, even though he does call people to Christ, that's something he consistently has done. But you're going to realize that that's part of the, maybe part of the deception in a way, as you read this. So his guy who sets up these big events, Willis Haymaker, he says he would also call on the local Catholic bishop or other clerics to acquaint them with the crusade plans and invite them to the meetings. They would usually appoint a priest to attend and report back. This was years before Vatican II's openness to Protestants. But we were concerned to let the Catholic bishops see that my goal was not to get people to leave their church. <coughs> Rather, I wanted them to commit their lives to Christ. And that's from his book, Just As I Am. The purpose wasn't to get them to leave the church. Now, the problem with that is, if you're preaching to save people and you want them to know Jesus Christ, don't you want them to know all of, all of Christ's truth? Why would you want to tell, bring them there and send them back into error? You're supposed to be a Protestant minister. Why would you want to send people back to pray to Mary instead of Jesus? Why would you want to send people back to pay for the remission of their sins? That still happens in the Catholic Church. 
uh, John F. Kennedy's family, when you read one of the biographies, paid 10,000 U.S. dollars in the 60s to the Catholic Church to have him move from purgatory into heaven. Again, that's a pretty good racket. But um, how do you prove that he got there, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, but $10,000. This guy, so when you say well, we're not going to move him out, we're not, we're not going to affect, you know, your, your, your congregation, what you're really saying is we're not going to do anything. They already have a misconstrued a mis, a uh, vision and version of who Christ is. So all you're going to do is reinforce a messed up version of Christ and send them back into delusion. That's Billy Graham. And that's why he's been able to be popular for so long. Because the forces that would stop him in this country and in the world... Let him do it. Because he poses the Catholic Church no threat. Is, I mean, quotes from when he goes to South America that the Catholic Church is happy that he goes down there and doesn't say anything against their false doctrine. Now here he is receiving um, a reward from the Church of Rome in his younger years. It says he'll go down in history as the greatest of our... This is him speaking about John Paul II. He'll go down in history as the greatest of our modern popes. He's been the strong conscience of the whole Christian world. Was he the was he he wasn't my strong conscience. <laughs> he wrote the, the letter Dies Domini, the Lord's Day. He blasted basically the seven day Sabbath in that, and said that you know by saying that Sunday's the eighth day and really contorted theology that we shouldn't you know nobody you should keep this first day of the week as holy. He's not the conscience of the whole Christian world. He's not our conscience. But here's what I mean. This is what this uh, Protestant minister says about the Pope. In these days of prayer, we are not to accept, Ellen White says, we are not to accept everything that men bring to us as truth. As professed teachers from God come to us declaring they have a message from God, it is proper to inquire carefully. Because people will smooth over the message just to get in, to swing and hit you with something like this. How do you, I mean, how do, you do this and then say you had a need for a Protestant Reformation? Why have a Protestant Reformation if the Catholic Church is perfectly fine? And their pope is the conscience of the entire Christian world. Doesn't make any sense. So in essence, what you do passively is to undo the entire Protestant Reformation. That's powerful. And you do it without ever raising a gun or, or a sword. But you do it by double agents, secret agents, by slipping people in among Christians and having them do say and do things like this. I have stuff like quotes like this from George Bush, um, Bill Clinton, You'd be amazed at all of these Protestant leaders, who are supposed to be Protestant leaders, who paid cr incredible homage. There's a picture I have of the three presidents bowing before the casket of John Paul II. You got to be careful because there's a lot of false prophets in Christendom now. And what they do is, one of the things they're going to do, and this really should have been on the next talk, what they do is they, talk, they try and find ways to get you to not believe the sound doctrine. And now, because of the digital dragon that we talked about earlier today, they can do stuff like produce whole documentaries and movies. And they do. This one is called the Lazarus Phenomenon. I don't know if did anybody see that? On TBN, Trinity brought, you can probably pull it up and watch it. It's a very strange thing. He says, here's, here's some um, amazing stories from those who have been certified. This is their advertisement for the movie, the documentary. Here's some uh, amazing stories from those who have been certified dead and then returned to life in this astonishing dramatized documentary. Problem on the first line. Pastor Daniel Ikachukwu 
died for three days. See interviews with his doctor, his mortician, and his wife. Hear what he says. Says he was sent back. Hear why he says he was sent back. Now you know you messed up. You get all the way to heaven, they send you back, right? <laughs> Plus the story of Ian McCormack, who was stung by a lethal box jellyfish, was dead for 15 minutes, and met Jesus. Now, I actually did watch the part of this with the, um, the African pastor who, who was, they say was dead for three days. And they do the whole drama. They re-dramatize the whole thing. They have him in a coffin. And when they show the car accident, and they put him in a coffin. He goes to the doctor in the, in the big city. Then the mortician gets him and preserves him, puts him in the coffin. And they're shipping him back to his village to be buried and to have the service. They get back to the village, and his wife says, don't bury him yet. Instead, bring him down front in the church, and let's pray over him. And they start praying and having like a Pentecostal service. And he wakes up. Now, at that point, service would have been over for me because he somebody else is going to have to check to see if he's alive because I would have been gone. But what happens is he gets up and begins then to tell, and this is what TBN basically does the documentary on, what he experienced while he was dead. What's interesting is he says that the angel took him and brought him to heaven and to hell. So he went to hell and he saw the demons tormenting the sinners in hell, people shouting to him, Go back and tell my brothers to behave so they don't wind up here with me. I think they stole that from Dante's Inferno. I read that in like eighth grade. That was a good book. But <laughs> false doctrine the same. And he, so he, there's a whole scene about him being in hell. Then there's a whole scene about him going to heaven and meeting the angels. And then he's sent back. Now, this is, and this is not, you know, like a Hollywood movie that's not supposed to be true. They're speaking this on TBN as if this actually happened. He really did walk the streets of gold. He really did meet the angels. How powerful is it? that? And remember, Roger Manoa in his book, he says that the there are two great deceptions that the devil loves and one great protection. I'll, I'll say them now. I'm supposed to say them tomorrow, but I'll say it now. Two great deceptions the devil loves and one protection against those deceptions. Number one deception is he loves this. People believing that when they die, they go to heaven or hell. The devil, the, he, he, Roger Manoa, when he worshiped the demons, he says that the priests would, they smiled, they were happy at the idea that the whole Christian world believed that when you die, you go to heaven or hell. That was, Satan feels like he pulled over a master deception on the world to do that. And it is. You go to churches, and you know, you go to those old Baptist churches down south, in the black community, and brother so-and-so is leaning over the barrister of heaven and looking down on us. And I'm like, no, he, he right there. That's brother so-and-so right there in that coffin. He's not leaning, he's lying. Um, and so that's one great deception that Satan loves. The second great deception that Satan loves is the fact that people go to church on Sunday rather than on the seventh-day Sabbath. He loves that deception because it's the venerable day of the sun. All the years of sun worship and paganism, he worked to have people keep, uh, adore the sun. He feels that it's still a link back to them worshiping him through Apollo and Osiris and all of these former gods to have people keep Sunday holy. So he loves those two deceptions. So how is the best way to get the whole world to buy into that deception? Is there a better way than to actually have Trinity Broadcasting Network, the Christian Television Network, the biggest one? I'm very proud of 3ABN. They, they, they do a great job. These guys are incredibly well-funded. 
And I mean, they make full feature length movies now and everything. This is a little cheap one they made. And so they do stuff like the Left Behind movies, right? And teach people that there's a secret rapture. And a, I mean, all kinds of crazy stuff. How else do you get that doctrine in unless you have people, with, people so that people think Bible-believing Christians believe it's coming from a reputable source? And that's the real point of all of this. Well, I meant to say you, Roger Bernot also says what the great protector is. The great protector against deception. So he's in, the, he's in the demon worshiping session, and the demon priest says that these two things have been done, and the whole Christian world believes it, and the, the, the master is so happy about it. And Roger Bernot says a hand goes up from the back of the room, and the guy stands up and says, what about the Adventists? And the priest says, oh, the demon priest says, oh, you know, I forgot about the Adventists. You got to read Roger Bernot's book if you haven't. Um, he says, I forgot about the Adventists because there's so few of them. He says, the, we cannot deceive the Adventists because they keep the seventh day Sabbath. The keeping of the Sabbath is a protection against deception. It is a spiritual cover. Because you, you are willing to, you know, I, I can't even say I know how it works. But the demon priest told Roger Minot that this is why when Roger Minot later on met Cyril Gross, they were working next side by side in a factory, and the Jewish guy who owned it said, go and work next to this guy. You know, there's a black guy down there who says he's going to keep the Jewish Sabbath. And the Jewish guy says, I don't even keep the Sabbath. Why does this black guy want to keep the Sabbath? So he said, work next to him and find out what's going on with him. When Roger Minot got next to him and he said, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist, Roger Minot at that point was trying to get out of demon worship. And when he heard he was a Seventh-day Adventist, he said, look, I want you to give me Bible studies. And in one week, he took all like eight weeks of Bible study. Because he realized he only had like till that Wednesday night before the time he was going to have to fully commit himself to Satan. So he wanted all the Bible studies all at once, and he started to go. And Cyril Gross, you know, I'm reading his book now, they couldn't understand why he wanted the Bible study so fast, and they didn't understand his urgency, nor why he felt so safe being Adventist. But Roger Minot knew that if he was baptized into the Seventh-day Adventist church, the demons themselves would not be able to get him. Because he'd already heard them say it. There was spiritual power by, he gained by joining the remnant. And tomorrow when I talk about the counterattack against the dragon in this war, the remnant, if we are faithful in doing what God tells us to do, we are protected. Roger Mano prays about the fact that when he was a salesman, how God would bless his sales. And he writes all those, uh, the power of prayer books and stuff because he got it. He understood it. If he asked the devil for a favor, the devil gave him one. Remember this morning we were talking about the gift? He got the gift of gambling. He would he'd sleep and get the, the horses in his head and he'd go out and play the horse and they win. He understood that the devil could do that. How much more could God do? That's why he prayed the way he prayed. So this deception, this is powerful stuff, though. And if you watch this and you don't know a lot about the Bible, you're going to be convinced that you die and go to heaven or hell immediately. Powerful stuff. And this is the kind of stuff that's happening that when we go out as a church and you're trying to witness to people, they don't necessarily accept because they're powerful mediums telling them to do otherwise. I'll give you one quick example of Christian music. Um, this is Michael W. Smith. <coughs> um, and one of the things, if you read, oh, Alice, we talked about Alistair Crowley a little bit this morning, who was the beast, 666, who was the one who was like the father of modern Satanism. Um, one of the things he says is if you, wanna, you want to do dark things, write things backwards, say things, practice saying things backwards, doing things backwards. That's why they back mass records. 
And here Michael Smith writes back, well, this is a witchcraft language, a Germanic witchcraft writing that he uses. You know, so he puts these symbols, all of this weird stuff. I don't mean, who stands up in the snow like on a chair? Like, I mean, isn't that strange all by itself? And what they're saying is, what they're saying, right, there's symbolism to this. And again, remember that when the devil elevates someone for them to get worship, they have to signal where the worship's going. So Michael Jackson, when he would flip his hand around and do this, all this flipping his hand, he was signaling where the worship, when you were worshiping him, the worship was going on to the demons. That he was conjuring up by doing all of these symbols. And the rock concerts, they do the same thing. We talked about that this morning. But look at the lyrics to one of his songs. And this is what I mean. If the devil can get these secret agents, double agents, and Michael W. Smith has probably has perfectly good Christian songs. It will, you won't make a good double agent or secret agent if you don't do that. Right? You're going to have to pretend you're on God's side enough that people don't question you. But look at the lyrics. Sometimes I feel like this world is just one big gigantic merry-go-round. You got to hold on tight or you get hurled in the air. Yeah, life is a three-ring circus with clowns and freaks and camels and such, and you never know when you might be attacked by the bears. Give me love, give me love, love me good. All right. Hmm. I'm not sure what you do with that. It sounds like some eighth grade kid was told to write a poem and didn't want to. <laughs> but this is what happens. You start to water it down. And I mean, I have whole talks on this, on, on you know, watching Christian music. And, you know, there's songs where they really are doing this whole thing about trying to make you the Christian God and promote prosperity. This stuff, that's what this stuff is. And it's amazing because I can show there are people teaming up with people. There's a gospel singer, Hezekiah Walker, who teams up with Karis One, who started the, the, the temple of hip-hop and has wrote a whole New Testament of hip-hop and says he's going to do away with Christianity. All kinds of stuff. Yet Christian artists team up with them. We have to be careful for this very reason. Who's writing the songs then? What are we bringing into our homes, our cars, our churches, if we don't really know what these people actually believe? And you know, some of the songs blatantly promote you die and go straight to heaven or hell, some of the Christian songs. So we have to be careful because, again, they're double agents, secret agents, people working to slip in and give us false doctrine. <coughs> Time is up. Okay, probably hold the last slide until break. Mark 13, 34 to 37. It says, for the Son of Man is a man taking a far journey who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to every man his work and commanded the porter to watch. Jesus says, watch ye therefore, for you know not when the master of the house come, at even or at midnight, at the cock crowing or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. <coughs> One of the major troubles with modern Christianity that even flows into Adventism is we've stopped watching. <clears throat> We're so caught up in the things of the world, <clears throat> so distracted, even by good things, which we'll talk about tomorrow, or you can't get distracted even by innocent things, because that's how the, in the um, Steps to Christ, Ellen White describes how it is that the devil pulls people who are abiding in Christ out. One of the ways he does it is by innocent things. So you've got to be real careful how you focus in this life. And what happens is if you're looking all around you at mortgages and economic collapses and unemployment and all of the different things, the, the, the Super Bowl. This media was produced by Audioverse for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. 
If you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.